0: So, anyway, Acts chapter 18 is where we're at this morning. Acts chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 12 through 28. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to me how sometimes you read through a passage of Scripture, and I think we all go through that. When we read through a passage of Scripture, it's like, man, I know I just read it, but I don't know, I have a clue what it said. That was me last week with this passage, I'm not going to lie. I'm sitting there going through it, it's like, okay, good. Paul's still traveling, good. It's just like it wasn't coming. And all of a sudden this week, I sit down a few days ago and I say, Lord, I was struggling through this passage last week, I need your help. If you don't like make this text come alive somehow, it's going to be a dud of a sermon on Sunday. Now, it still may be a dud because of me, but I need you to do something. But the bottom line is amazing how God begins to show you things, right? That's just the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And I think sometimes we forget just how powerful, just how amazing the Holy Spirit can be. Um, I was joking with someone the other day. I said, in the church I grew up in, I'm sorry if there's anybody watching, but you aren't supposed to talk about the Holy Spirit. That's the red-headed stepchild. Seriously. Um... You know, if you talk, if you start talking about that Holy Spirit thing, you might be considered a Pentecostal or a charismatic. So we just don't go there. Just don't mention it, because you might be out there. Just don't say that word. And that's just how life was growing up. But you begin to realize that we can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit's working in us. Right? Have you figured that out yet? I mean, because me as a person, not a good guy. I'm just telling you. It was a pastor. You got a deep dark secret. No, I'm just know that my flesh is sinful. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in and through me, there's nothing to give. There's nothing to get. And we all should be arguing what Paul said. I am the chiefest among sinners. Every one of us should argue that. It's because we know our sinful flesh is just reality. And apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't do anything. But I was amazed at how the Holy Spirit just began to work in and through this passage. <coughs> and really, you got to the very end. It's like, okay, Lord, how do you want me to apply this? How, how does this how, what, what does this text matter to where I live every day? What, is, what does it matter? How is this text going to change the way I live? How I wake up? How I perceive the day that God has given me? I think those are the questions we need to ask, and you can't get answers to apart from the Holy Spirit working in your life. And that's why I say when we come in here, and I'm amazed that uh, I see, is anybody amazed at what's going on in the world? Am I the only one? I mean, we're not shocked, right? We're not shocked at what's going on. But we're amazed at everything that's taking place around us. And if that doesn't drive us to get closer to God through everything that we are seeing, I don't know what will. I really don't. I don't know what it's going to take for some of us to wake up and finally get real about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I know some of you just don't give a flying flip, and that's the reality. Say, well, you really, yeah, I do believe that. Because if you really did give a rip, you'd change the way you live. And I would too. I'm not preaching at you because remember, every time I point the finger, I got a solid three coming right back, right? But the reality is some of us, we come into church, eh, we're here. Big deal. You don't get excited. You don't want to worship God. This is our opportunity to come together. At least we should, I wish we could have church like more than once a week. Well, kind of, because Sunday comes every week, whether you're ready or not. Just in case you not, didn't know about that. So if you're a teacher, every week it comes whether you're ready or not. You, there's no like hit the hold pause button. The world's gonna pause while I work on this text, and then they're gonna okay, hit play again. It's coming every week. But the reality is, the Holy Spirit is with us. And uh, He has lots for us to learn. So, in Acts chapter 18, verses 12 through 28. So, surprise. The Jews are upset at Paul again. That's a new thing, right? I mean, every passage we come into, the Jews are ticked off at Paul. So, once again, He's on the hot seat, being accused of persuading others of all things, get this, to worship God. God in a way that is contrary to their laws. Let's stop there just for a moment. Is that really a bad thing? I mean, he's encouraging everybody around him to worship the one and only true God, and yet their laws are what? Rules, regulations. Do it this way. Don't do it that way. Follow our procedures and you'll be just fine. And Paul comes in and says, no, it's not about the laws anymore. And remember what he said? He goes, the entire law in Galatians was given as a schoolmaster to bring us to what? Grace. He says, "Law. it's not about what you do or don't do. It's about what you have with Jesus Christ as far as a relationship. And so Paul is on the hot seat again. But rather than being distracted by all that was taking place, Paul literally makes his way back to Antioch to give his report of all that God was doing and to return back to doing what he does best, strengthening and discipling those in the church that he had come in contact with. So let's go ahead and take a moment we're going to read through it and I'll read quickly and you say what's what's new. <laughs> I read quickly. So just follow along hang on as I read the beginning of verse 12. So it says when gallio was proconsul of Achaia the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat saying this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were, were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centuria, for he had taken a vow. He had come to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer with time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this counting feast or c- coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order to strengthen all the disciples. Now a certain named, a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, through, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogues. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to come across to Achai, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So, God was still working. You know, Paul was doing what Paul does best. He's going from town to town to town to village to village to town to village. And he's basically just going in there and as the word that we talked about, having a dialogue in the synagogues with the Jewish people. Now the whole idea behind having a dialogue is he was just having a simple conversation. He wasn't beating them over the head with what he believed versus what they believed. He wasn't telling them that their law was wrong and that a relationship was better. He was simply having a conversation with them using the scriptures and every time the result is almost identical they get ticked off they want to beat him they want to kill him they want to destroy him they want to ruin his ministry they want to just do things their own way and bring people back to the law but here he is paul is about to defend himself when Galileo began to speak i thought this is amazing verse 14 when paul was about to open his mouth i find myself there a lot i know that may shock some of you but any time I come across something I disagree with or something I don't like, I want to spew out and correct the, the storyline, right? I mean, I, I want to set the record straight. And it's amazing that even in God's Word it says, let another man defend you, not yourself. And when you're walking with God, doing what God has asked you to do, and you're walking in the Spirit, being obedient to what God has for you, God will take care of the circumstances. Have we not seen that Paul, even though he went through some things that you and I would not choose over and over again with those who were upset with him, those who were ticked off at him, have we not seen over and over from chapter to chapter to chapter throughout the book of Acts that immediately God has always stepped in and given him somebody to help him? And so as Paul is about to open his mouth to defend himself, Gallio began to speak in verse 14. And he says, if it were a matter of wrongdoing, now remember this proconsul of of of, of okay, here. He, he's a guy who's in a place of public uh, authority. He's a person who is a leader in the vi- in the village in the town. He is somebody who can make decisions. And yet, as he was being presented with a case, I mean, he's got these angry Jewish people bringing Paul before the public platform. He says, "If it were a matter of wrongdoing, so what's he saying? Paul hasn't done anything wrong." He says, if it were a matter of wicked crimes, Paul hadn't done anything wicked or anything against the law. But because, he goes, if it were one of those things, there might be a reason why I should bear with you. So what is he basically telling these angry Jews? I don't have time for this. I really don't have time for this. And so, but because you want to argue words and names... I do not want to judge over such matters, according to verse 15. So at the moment Paul is about to defend himself, Gallio of all people, stands up and says, Don't worry about it. I ain't got time for this. This is not worth the court's time. And says, I'm done. So then, not only was he done and not going to hear the matter... Uh, According to verse 16, Gallio drove them from the judgment seat. Now you have to get the idea of what's taking place here. You sometimes don't get the full story. I have a book called Bible Manners and Customs. And it's a really interesting book because it'll take some of those phrases that we don't necessarily always have a great explanation for. And it builds a picture or a story about those words that we find in Scripture. And this particular one is kind of interesting because the judgment seat was a place of public visibility it was a large raised platform in the marketplace anybody who was in the marketplace could come by during the day and see what was taking place it's almost as though they were the crowd watching the jury in the court case take place so it is a very public place a very high raised platform in the center of town and people would come by and it was almost served as a public court of sorts and so here he is gallio drives him. so paul was basically brought there by the Jewish people, put on this very public platform, raised up for everybody to see, everybody who's walking by, and in front of everybody, Gallio says, this is not worth my time. Maybe if he had done something wrong. Maybe if he was accused of something wicked, he, w- wicked crime that he may have done. But because you guys want to basically argue semantics, I don't have time for this. Guys, move along. Get him out of here. So publicly, Paul not only had to defend himself, he was defended by a guy who really didn't even know him and let go. Isn't it amazing how God sometimes works? God will do things in a way that you and I would not choose in a way that we would not understand or would not guess. But here God is doing a job on behalf of Gallio to set him free. But then here's something else that takes place. So remember... Paul had gone into the synagogue here, right? He's going in there to have this dialogue or this conversation with the Jews. They're ticked off. They bring him to the platform. He's dismissed from the platform. But who's the leader of this synagogue? A guy by the name of Sosthenes. And so Sosthenes is there. So though, though the Jews of Corinth tried to get Roman proconsul to make Christianity illegal, so to speak, Paul's released But now they take Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him. Why do you think they beat him? I I sat there thinking about this yesterday. Why do you think the Jews beat Sosthenes? There's only one thing that comes to my mind. It may not be the right, technical, accurate answer, but it's the only thing that makes sense to me. If the ruler of the synagogue, the ruler of the Jews, won't stand behind the angry Jewish mob, what do you think they're going to do to their leader? beat him so that he's not in charge anymore, right? We'll get somebody. If you're not going to side with us, if you're not going to defend us as our leader, we'll take care of it. So not only does Galileo, not Judge Paul, dismisses him. Look at verse 17. I find this interesting. If I can get there. Verse 17 says, Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, but Gallio oh what took no notice of it. Gallio's like, I don't see what's going on. Oh, oh, back here, there's something. I, I, I can't turn my neck that far. I can't see it. I mean, just totally turns his back on the ruler of the Jews. I mean, is that what we would have figured would have happened? I mean, if I were writing this story, I don't know that I would have put that plot twist in there. I mean, the very leader of the Jewish people is over there getting beat in Galilee. Is like, <laughs> I don't see nothing. Isn't that crazy? That to me is crazy. Back just the chapter, a couple of chapters in, in, in Acts chapter sixteen, verse twenty and twenty-one, we looked at this. It says, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble their city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. I mean, what happened? Every time they didn't get their way, somebody was going to get in trouble. Somebody was going to get beat. Somebody was going to have to face the wrath of the Jewish people. Man, they were selfish. They wanted their own way. I mean, they wanted, they wanted the, the pro-council to basically make Christianity illegal. And the magistrate says, I "Ain't got time, move along." So Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, is then beaten. Then what happens? Well, why does Gallio, proconsul of A- A- K- I defend Paul and turn his head? It blows my mind, because I think he knows inside that this man is unique. I mean, this is what Paul does: village after town, after village after town, all along the, the you know the. The area, the route, it's what he does. So Paul continued to do what he does. He stayed a good while there and then sailed to, to Syria with Priscilla and Aquila, according to verse 18. So in 18 he says this, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off in Centria, for he had taken a vow. Uh, you know, I don't fully understand why God put that little plug in there. I, I started to look for some commentary on that and it's kind of noticeably quiet in a lot of commentaries about that but for whatever reason Paul made a commitment and he had his hair cut off he took a vow had his head shaved for whatever reason but continues I don't know if it was a vow of commitment a vow to continue doing what God had called him to do but he goes on his way Paul then cuts his hair off he goes into Ephesus proceeded to do what he does and uh, which is to dialogue with the Jews in every town and village he gets to but rather than staying longer, Paul heads to Jerusalem. So notice this in verse. I mean, usually you, you see in different passages he stays there. And then he stays a year and a half, and then he stayed three years, and then he stayed a couple of months. Here he just he just stays for a little while and then he moves on. But look at this in verse twenty. So when they asked him to stay longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them. This time Paul says, "Nope." I mean, what what gives? I mean, you stay here, you don't stay here. You stay here, you don't stay here. Paul is on a mission to do what God has asked him to do. He's making his way eventually back to Antioch so he can give report. But he decides to move on rather than staying. So he goes to Antioch, onto Galatia, onto Phrygia for the purpose of strengthening the disciples as we see in verse 23. He says, after he spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. That's what Paul's idea of ministry was at this point was to go and disciple and strengthen those that he had ministered to but here's the thing Paul didn't have to do it alone he comes into verse 24 and there's a ministry kind of takes a little bit of a shift here in verse 24 Um, Paul gets there and he's like now with Apollos born at Alexandria and there's a lot that we learn about Paul, and so really, Paul is basically starting his third missionary journey at this point. He is fully putting into practice what what, what God or what Jesus commanded when he left this earth in Matthew twenty eight, nineteen and twenty. He's evangelizing, he's educating and equipping, he is edifying and establishing churches and so forth. But now Apollos enters the picture. What do we know about Apollos from verse twenty four and twenty five? It says here now a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria an eloquent man a mighty in scriptures came to Ephesus this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord being fervent in spirit and spoke, ta- spoke and talked accurately the things of the Lord though he only knew the baptism of John so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue so forth so what do we know about this man named Apollos i'm just telling you i would love to be like this man I would love this to be said of me. He was certainly born in Alexandria, but he was an eloquent man, mighty in Scripture. That word mighty is an interesting word here. It's the word dunamis, which means dynamite. In other words, he knew enough of the Scripture to be explosive with it. What a word picture in the Greek language. Dunamis in spirit. Mighty, explosive in spirit. Or in Scriptures. I wonder, could that be said of you and I? That we know the Scriptures well enough to be explosive with it. Not, once again, because they didn't beat people over the head with what they believed. They had conversations. They simply had conversations with those that God allowed them to have a conversation with. Not only that, he said he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. You know, in order to be instructed you have to be what? Teachable. You can't receive instruction if you're not teachable. So we know from the Scriptures here that He was teachable. It says that He was fervent in spirit. I love that what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, "...not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord." It requires a fervent spirit to serve the Lord. The word fervent has the idea that you don't stop, you don't give up, you don't quit, you keep going. So we learn that Apollos was eloquent. He was mighty in Scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. That's what God's Word tells us about him. Is that he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Once again, how do you do that? You have to be a student of the Word. You have to know it before you can teach it. You have to know it before you can proclaim it. He was a student of the Word. But not only this, this is amazing. Though he only knew the baptism of John. Isn't that interesting just for a moment? That he only knew the baptism of John. In other words, he hadn't been to seminary, hadn't been to Bible college, He hadn't listened to the daily broadcast of Walk Through the Bible yet because it wasn't there. He observed and learned and he proclaimed what he learned. What did John know? Acts chapter 19, verse 4 says this, Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, Christ Jesus. One thing that he realized is that John understood what repentance was. And if you understand what repentance was, then Apollo, or then Apollo says, well, I can proclaim that. I, know, I now know what repentance is. I can proclaim that. And if that's the only message he had, it was a good one. Right? He took what he knew and was responsible for what he knew and used it for the Lord. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us sitting here in these chairs this morning know a lot more than we're putting into practice. He hadn't had an opportunity to be fully trained yet. Did you catch that? He had not been fully trained. It says that he went out and accurately proclaimed what he knew, but he only knew a certain amount from what he learned from John. But that little bit that he knew, he put into practice. The question that jumped to me on the page was, am I practicing and obeying and putting into use what I know? Because the more you know, the more you're going to be what? Responsible for. Are you using what you know? In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 11, it says this, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's one thing John was proclaiming. And not only that, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, he goes on and says this. I'm, I'm almost there. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John knew a couple things. John knew what repentance was. He proclaimed it. John knew how necessary it was for the Holy Spirit to be at work, and he used them. And if that's what he learned from John, that's what Apollos put into practice. I think, what a testimony. That's something every one of us in this room could learn from. Did it stop there? Nope. Look at verses 26 through 28. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. What else do we learn about Apollos? Well, when it came to Aquila and Priscilla's understanding that there are some things that he needed to learn, he allowed Aquila and Priscilla to teach him. There's that teachable again. And then Apollos greatly helped the believers in Achaia. And then there's something else we see. For he, Verse 28, For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews. He says, it's not my opinion. It's not what I think. He used the Scriptures to defend his belief. That Jesus is the Christ. A couple of passages I want to highlight here. 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. Oops, I'm turning too fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything, nor is he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Isn't that amazing? They were just simply men who allowed God to work in and through them. And if God can work through Paul, who was not a nice guy, as we've learned. A man who had to go through much suffering, according to Acts 9, as a chosen vessel of God. But he is one who let God use him. And then we come into Apollos, who now is a believer. He was a Jew. He was part of that Jewish synagogue culture. And now he's letting God use him. And he says, but it's not about us. Some water, some plant... But God gives the increase. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 5, it says, "...not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God." They realized that it was not about them. They realized it wasn't anything in their own power, their own ability, their own might, That could accomplish anything. So, this is me when I'm reading Acts chapter 18, verses 12 through 28. Pretty cool story. What do I do with it? How do I apply it? So, we learn more about Paul. Paul is continuing doing what Paul always does going from town to town, village to village, having conversations with those in the Jewish synagogues. They go in there, they don't like him, they don't like what he says, they try to destroy him and his ministry. God shows up, does a great work. I mean, this is a story that we're reading in almost every chapter, right? Chapter to chapter to chapter. What does this chapter mean? How do I apply it? Something came to my mind as I was asking this question to myself this week. How many characters are mentioned in this chapter? Let me just list them for you. There's Paul. There's Silas. There's Timothy. Priscilla. Aquila. Justice. Crispus. Apollos. Gallio. All these people that are mentioned. Some of them believers. Some of them not. But these are all people that God used in their daily circumstances. I don't know about you, but that's what I want for me and that's what I want for you. Is that God would take all the people in this congregation, the Ginger, the Pat, the Mina, the Bonnie, the Jason, the Daves, the Mikes, the Mariannes, the Janets, the Jessicas, the Shanes, the Lisas, the Ethels, the Scots. Everyday people. Just everyday people. And one thing you see that is common through this is that they allowed God to do something in and through them. Question, was there anything special about Paul? Seriously, was there? Yes or no? The guy was a jerk. If you haven't figured that out, he was a first-class idiot. Truth, isn't it? This was a guy who was so arrogant, so proud, so in your face about what he thought and believed, and God had to break him down and shape him and mold him, right? To become Paul, because as Saul, he wasn't usable. Right? Tell me I'm wrong. God had to do a work in and through him. Galileo, not even a believer, says, listen, you want to argue words? You want to argue law? You want to argue semantics? Guys, take I have other things to do. I ain't got time for this. Let's deal with real problems. God used them despite Him. Priscilla and Aquila? I'm sure they had better things to do than to point out to Apollos, hey, can I teach you some things? But then here's Apollos who says, hey, if there's some things I need to learn, I'm, I'm willing to learn. Where do you fit in this? These are everyday people throughout the entire chapter that God worked through. There was nothing fancy, nothing special, nothing so unique about them that God had to use those people. They were just people. Like you and me. You ever thought about that? There are no all-stars here. They're just people. And I think to myself, I would love for God to do that in our church. How how many else would think that would be really cool? I think that would be really super cool. I'm going to break just for a moment. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to do it because there's always a possibility I'm going to leave somebody out. Please don't get upset over that. But nothing thrills my heart more than to walk into a church on a Tuesday morning and seeing one lady share the Bible with two other ladies. I wish I had a whole church full of that. I wish I had a whole church full of people who are willing to come in on Saturday night at 10 o'clock and stay till 1 in the morning to prepare for Sunday school because the worker work was busy. I wish I had a whole church full of those. I wish I had a whole church full of people who would come over here and just clean because that's what they feel like God has called them to do. And guess what? I'm glad they do it because honestly, I don't have time to do it all. You don't have time to do it all. But God gives them the time to do it. Thank you. It doesn't go unnoticed. God's work does not go unnoticed with God's people. And even if God's people don't see it, God does. But it's amazing to see how there's just a chapter full of names that God is using. See, so it's just another cool story, no different than any others. And you'd be right until you start looking at the names. He didn't just say somebody, he didn't say that person, he didn't say she, or he, or them. He said Paul, he said Justice, Crispus, Apollos, Gallio, Silas. Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, Dave, Chris, Janet, Tommy, Gloria. Because he wants to use you. The question is, will you let him do it? I'd love to see a whole church full of these people. And by the way, I know there's things going on behind the scenes I don't see. I know that. But it thrills my heart when I see a church saying, "I want to do something for God." Some of you haven't quite caught that yet. You will, hopefully. I'm praying that you will. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. And can you, for the love of God, not say, "I did my, I took my turn"? That's 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 somebody else's turn now. I, I don't see retirement from ministry in Scripture. I just don't. I swear to God, to you, I have no desire to retire from ministry. I may shift from preaching to some other form of ministry someday if I can't physically do this. But I have no plans of stopping ministry ever in my life. I want to be like Dr. Monroe Parker. I preach my last message and take a step back to go off stage and I die. I, I hope that happens. Not not today or anything, but I mean... Um, <laughs> unless that's God's will, but I mean... I, I, want to, I want to stay faithful to the end. I don't want to just... Well, I did it for ten years, it's somebody else's turn. Show me that, just show that to me somewhere. Somebody show that to me. And by the way, I'm just going to say, faith without works is... Okay, you heard it from yourself. What's your service for the Lord? You have, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? Right? Verse 10. We forget that verse 10 goes in that same context. For we are his workmanship, created created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good work. Oh, so it's not just my imagination that God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Here's the problem I find in my own life. I'm so busy doing what I want to do that I don't have time to do what God wants me to do. Oh God, I'm willing to die for you, but I won't live for you. Right. He believes that as much as I do or you yourself do. I think of all these things and what God is doing, I I think it would be just as likely, just as possible, just as much an opportunity for you to put your name in here as it is for Paul or Silas or Apollos or Priscilla or Aquila if you're willing to let them use you. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't just show up because, Lord, none of us wants that. We don't want to just put in our time here at Harvest. We don't want to just, well, it's Sunday so I go to church. Because, Lord, ministry truly doesn't happen just here. It happens mainly. I mean, Lord, we're out in about six days of the week. We're only here for a couple hours a week. If we think this is, minute, Lord, we're missing the boat. I pray, your Father, Lord, that you help us see that ministry takes place outside these walls. Impact on this world that we live in happens outside these walls. And Lord, the Holy Spirit is able to work outside these walls, and I pray, dear Father, Lord, that would be our desire for you to use us outside these walls, that we would hear a story of how you are impacting lives. But Lord, thank you for each one who is even one to be used inside these walls too, because Lord, it's all a blessing. It's all necessary. It's all you, Lord, doing what you do through people. It's not about us. It never will be. So, Father, I pray that you do a work in our midst. Lord, that you would impact many hearts and minds, Lord, to engage in service to you, Lord. And, Lord, it doesn't all have to be the upfront, visible, where everybody can see it. Lord, so much of what takes place is what people can't see. But, Lord, for every Sunday school teacher, for every leader that works with these kids, Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Lord, for those who are teachers Wednesday nights and Sundays, I pray, God, Your blessing upon them. Lord, that they may, like Apollos, accurately teach the Scriptures. Accurately teach what they know. And Lord, at times, like Apollos, be willing to learn more. Be teachable so that their work can even be greater for your cause, for your glory. Just for a moment, we do this each and every Sunday. Maybe you're here this morning and say, God's challenged me here. Maybe just for a moment, your one says, proverbially, I'd love to have my name remembered like that. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I've run my race. I've kept the faith faithful to the end. I believe with all my heart, if you want to be used of God, God will use you. You have to be willing. You have to be available. You don't have to be super talented. You don't have to be super skilled. You don't have to be the best. You just have to be willing. But I believe with all my heart, if you're willing to let God use you, He will. It may be in an area that you didn't plan. It may be in an area that you did not see coming. But the question is, what about your name? What are you doing for the Lord? If you say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself this morning, I want to be used. And I've been slacking. I've been I've been just kind of sitting back, watching other people do things. Pastor, I want my name to be remembered as faithful to the end. But I've been lazy in some areas. God's convicted me. God's challenging me. Would you pray for me? i went like that this morning. Yes, yes. Yes, all over. And if your answer is you're already faithful, wonderful. But if your answer is I don't want to do anything, you have a different issue you need to deal with. It's called repentance. Because faith without works is dead. He's created you to be His workmanship unto good works. That you'd walk in them according to Ephesians 2.10. But if you lifted your hand, your heart to the Lord this morning, can I challenge you right there where you're at, in your seat, to simply repent of it? Say, Lord, use me. Forgive me for being unwilling. Forgive me for being complacent. Forgive me for sitting back. God, use me. And remember, you're here for two hours out of the week. The rest of your service is going to take place outside of these walls, where you live, where you shop, where you get gas where you talk to your neighbor, where you talk to your relatives, where you drop your kids off at school, where, you, where life takes place is outside these walls. That's your opportunity for ministry. What are you doing with that? It's so easy to get, be in the comfort of our home, doing what we do, helping our kids, being a faithful member of our family, but God gets second place, third place, fourth place. That's got to change, Lord Jesus. As we come before you, Lord, many people around the auditorium this morning raise their hand, their hearts towards you. When my hands lifted, Lord, I don't want to. I don't want to just do half. I don't want to do three quarters. I want to be fully in. I want you to do the work that only you can do in and through us, Lord. As we submit fully to you, Lord. I pray, God, for each one to raise their hand, their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that you would grant victory and grace. And Lord, the empowerment and courage and boldness to do whatever it is that You lay in their heart to do to be a faithful minister, a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. God, would You grant victory this week May we sense Your presence, opening doors of opportunity the Lord that we are more than willing to walk through. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.